In the last two years, public discourse on gender and policies designed to protect the dignity of LGBTQ students have become increasingly politicized. And if the Moms for Liberty conference was any indicator, it will likely be a dominant message and wedge issue in the upcoming 2024 elections. Is the political discourse shaping attitudes and opinions? Are there distinctions now in people's minds between the rights of lesbian, gay, and bisexual people versus those who are transgender? This and other questions was the focus of a study by Public Religion Research Institute. To understand more, I spoke with PRRI CEO, Dr. Melissa Deckman. She's a political scientist who studies the impact of gender, religion, and age on public opinion and political behavior. Notably, her first book, School Board Battles, The Christian Right in Local Politics, she developed an expertise in understanding the power of wedge issues like parental rights and sex education in the public discourse and its efficacy in mobilizing voters. She explains why this research on attitudes about whether gender is a binary is important and how it relates to other trends. This report was really an attempt to sort of unpack what's going on here at PRI. We regularly follow trend data with respect to support for LGBTQ rights. And I think the narrative has been one in which Americans, including many religious Americans, have broadly become more accepting of gay rights in general. But yet we see this surge of political activism happening that essentially is seeking to restrict the rights of transgender Americans. And so this report, I think, maybe shed some lights on on what we're seeing today and why that's happening right now at this current time. One of the things that we asked in this recent survey we put out about the politics of gender pronouns in public education is we asked Americans whether they thought it was never appropriate to teach or discuss that some people are transgender in public schools or that some people do not consider themselves to be man or woman. I think when it comes to gender, there's concepts that are relatively new to our discourse in lots of ways. When it comes to the gender binary, we found that in the past two years, Americans have been more likely to say that they think there's only two genders. And that means that there's only male and female as opposed to whether there's a range of gender identities. And so that, I think, is interesting because what's happened on the larger issue of LGBTQ rights is that Americans have become broadly more accepting of those rights of Americans. More Americans now support same-sex marriage than ever. More Americans now, 8 in 10, say that we should not have policies that discriminate against members of the LGBT community. So groups like Moms for Liberty and conservative parents who want to opt out of even having a book where a character is transgender or where there's a conversation about transgender people is really flying against most public opinion we find in our research. Our findings show that the vast majority of Americans think it's appropriate to talk about transgender issues in school. Only about 34% of Americans say it's never appropriate to teach or discuss the fact that some people are transgender in public schools. Because the reality is, is that more Americans increasingly are identifying as transgender and they're part of our community. And I think most parents, most Americans recognize that uh, we need to be realistic and we need to recognize these groups in our society. And I'm curious if you see a divide when it comes to acceptance of lesbians and gay and bisexual Americans versus those who identify as transgender Yeah, part of the reason we did the study was to sort of get at that distinction a little bit. 
And I think a couple of things really stand out to me in our research. One is that most Americans do not know someone who's transgender, for example, or know someone who uses non-binary or other pronouns other than male, female. And we know from a long line of social science research that contact theory or knowing someone from a different background, a religious background or a different sexual orientation greatly increases your willingness to support rights for those groups in society. And so one of the things that we're struck with in our study is we find that most Americans, the majority of Americans know someone who is, and in fact, have a close personal friend or a family member who identifies as gay or lesbian or bisexual. And that number of Americans who have had contact with or who have known and loved people with a different sexual orientation has really dramatically increased Americans' acceptance of LGBTQ rights writ large. But we also find only about 10% know someone personally who is transgender. And so this is where I think we see this sort of distinction playing out. We find in our research very clearly, if you have a friend or a family member or someone close to you who identifies as transgender or is transgender, you're far more likely to uh, be supportive of transgender rights. You're far more likely to be open to and supporting discussions of these issues in school and supporting the rights for, for transgender Americans or be opposed to laws and state legislatures, for example, that are targeting transgender youth. As I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about power of social media and the role of contact theory, thinking of all of those things together, what strikes me is the fixation on drag story hour. There has been a larger acceptance in society of things like drag shows and the popularity of television programs that have been largely embraced by younger Americans. And for older conservative Americans, especially older conservative religious Americans, this is a world that they just don't understand or perhaps are opposed to because I think many people of faith who are older and more conservative really do believe that there's a hierarchy in the world of men and women. And this kind of gender fluidity is something that's very uncomfortable. I think it's getting at the point where for many, there's just discomfort with and a rejection of this idea in general. And so they'd rather just, I think, eliminate these Americans from from public life at all. That's why I think what we're seeing with respect to limits on medical treatment for transgender Americans, even though we know and decades of research show that gender dysphoria is real and that psychologists now and medical organizations say that medical treatment is a preferred course of action for many in terms of the well-being and mental health of these Americans. So it's a broader effort of not merely saying, well, let's opt out and not have this discussed in public schools to let's try to eliminate um, these Americans from our visible life. And so what's so striking to me is this selective focus on the role of the state. We want the state to be involved when we want them to restrict rights that we don't want to see. And we want the state to step aside in the instance of public schools when the state disagrees with us. Am I reading that right? I think you're reading that 100% correctly. <laughs> One of the things we study here at PRI and that we closely monitor is Christian nationalism. I would look at Christian nationalism as largely a political ideology that wants to preference conservative Christian theology in public schools and public life more generally. And so it really is a deliberate attempt to use the mechanism of the state, whether it's at the school board level, whether it's at the state legislature, whether it's in Congress, to really codify and use laws to further their worldview, essentially. And I think it's arisen in part, and we track all of the reasons for why we see a rise in Christian nationalism, is it's linked to Americans becoming more secular. 
It's becoming more racially and ethnically diverse. It's becoming more diverse in terms of queerness. So the promise, I think, of America for most Americans is one where we have a multiracial, multireligious sort of democracy where everyone uh, gets to participate. And that's not really the worldview of conservative Christians. And I would say opposition to drag shows or oppositions to discussions of LGBTQ Americans in public schools is part of that larger ideology as well. Chrissy Stroop, who's a transgender activist, she read the survey about pronouns and attitudes and was really, really focused in on the shift, particularly among millennials and Generation Z. Talk a little bit about what you found as it relates to attitudes when you disaggregate the data and you look at attitudes based on generation. Yeah, so I think some people were really surprised to see among Gen Z in particular, and also millennials, um, a noticeable uptick in the percentage thing that there's only two genders, that there's a gender binary. So for example, in 2021, when we asked this question, 43% of Generation Z said that there's only two genders, and that jumped to 57% in, in 2023. So that is a notable rise. Among millennials, it went from 51% to 60%. And I guess it's surprising for some people because we know that Gen Z is the queerest generation. I think that roughly one in four Gen Zers um, identify as LGBTQ+. So I think there's a couple things going on. I think on the one hand, again, the concept of a gender binary is relatively new in our lexicon. And I would suspect that when we asked this question initially in 2021, probably there was less, I think, formed opinion about what that meant. But in the last two years, there has been, I think, a very significant increase in talking about these issues when it comes to things like transgender youth sports, for example. So I hear what you're saying about that we're talking about in our popular culture, the idea of gender as a construct. And among Generation Z, like you said, there is a greater number that uh, identify as being part of the LGBTQ plus community. I wonder how much of that has to do with issues like sports. Tell me what you see happening and how you think it might be influencing attitudes. A couple of years ago, when we did do a poll, we found that Americans were more supportive of transgender boys being able to participate in boys sports as opposed to transgender girls being able to participate in girls sports. I think it boils down to matters of what Americans perceive as fairness. As we're having debates about, is it acceptable for transgender youth to play in sports that match their gender alignment as opposed to their biological sex? I think there's some spillover here that we see um, in terms of hardening of attitudes about the gender binary. I would also note, too, there are notable gender divides here. If you look in the text of our report, essentially, Gen Z men are 14 percentage points more likely than Gen Z women to believe that there's a gender binary. So I think that's also pretty interesting and notable. It's interesting. I was going to actually ask you about that, because when I was at that school board meeting, this message of the danger of gender confusion is something that I kept hearing over and over again. And it was from people who are not actually from multi-generational American families, but are new immigrants, first generation, coming from parts of the world where being openly gay is a punishable crime. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm also struck by how you take those new voices entering into this conversation, how that's going to change attitudes and perhaps shift thinking. That's a, a really good point. And I can't help but think about the earlier school board battles we discussed. <laughs> you know, I think about battles over comprehensive sex education, which by the way, in our report, I think this is a finding that sort of 
has not gotten a lot of good attention, but we found fewer than one in 10 Americans say that we shouldn't talk about comprehensive sex education in public schools. I mean, that's really remarkable, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I remember the 1990s, oh my gosh. Yeah, but it's that similar kind of argument. It's, that is, that's powerful. Just the mere mention of a condom discussion in schools means that it will give license to young people to have more and more sex, you know? And in fact, the social science research shows in talking about comprehensive sex education, delays, you know, the onset of having sex too early. But it's that similar sort of thing of if we merely discuss it, it will plant a seed. And that's, of course, just not true, right? We've seen similar uh, arguments over lots of issues with respect to sex and, and gender identity and sexual orientation. And that's clearly just the social science does not back that up. Dr. Melissa Dackman is the CEO of the Public Religion Research Institute. She is a political scientist who studies the intersection of gender, religion, and age on political behavior and attitudes. She is also the author of Tea Party Women, which examines the role of women in conservative politics, along with school board battles, the Christian right in local politics. We'll have links to her work and the survey in this week's show notes. That's all for this week's show. If you missed any part, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really the podcaster of your choice. Just search Interfaith Voices. Music by Blue Dot Sessions, and a special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Remember to stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. I'll see you next week.